MaxMuscle.com brings you Quantum Physiques, building strength and power for your mind, your body, and your spirit. Alternative medicine, muscle growth, mode enhancement, motivation, putting your mind at ease, harnessing your maximum potential. Quantum Physiques, here's your host, Brian Cunningham. And welcome to another episode of Quantum Physiques, where we strive to build strength and power for mind, body, and spirit. I'm your host, Brian Cunningham, joining you every week on rxmuscle.com. And I wanted to thank the listeners for the tremendous or enthusiastic response to last week's guest. Uh, you know, as I said before, Howard is one of my mentors. And to have the response that we had, probably one of the best from any show um, so far, actually, for such a, uh, a tangential uh, topic uh, of the future and next year and what it holds and how Howard was so enthusiastic about it. To have such a good response from our listeners really speaks well for, I guess, the people that I've chose to mentor in my life. So with that said, I've actually uh, taken it one step further and gone and got another mentor who is going to be joining us this evening uh, as a guest. Um, a few quick announcements. So I just wanted to um, announce, uh, speaking in the vein of intellectuals and scholars, as Howard Bloom is, of course, another famous or well-noted uh, scholar, Christopher Hitchens, passed away this past week. Uh, Christopher Hitchens, I came to know him for his exquisite expose on the uh, war criminal Henry Kissinger. He did a book called The War Crimes or The Trial of Henry Kissinger. And I actually saw the film uh, with a couple of uh, friends of mine, um, my friend Carlos and Nahid. And it was a very phenomenal film about how Kissinger had basically um, fomented the the collapse of the infrastructure in East Asia with these, I guess, basically illegal bombings of Cambodia, et cetera, et cetera. Christopher Hitchens, of course, went on from there to become uh, an avowed atheist. He wrote a book that gathered uh, as much attention as uh, Richard Dawkins, who's also a very famous uh, scientist about, um, you know, God is dead or, or in, def in defense of atheism, something to that effect. Um, and, you know, the sad thing about this, Christopher Hitchens, of course, smoke and drank and had esophageal cancer, which as he even admitted is something that you would get if you smoke and drink for quite a number of years and don't take care of yourself. And uh, it was sad to see him on uh, CNN being interviewed and talking about he, how he was just so out of tune with his body. He was just, he, he loved to burn the midnight oil, as he would say, and he pushed, pushed, pushed so hard. And he was accustomed to living on coffee and using alcohol at night. And, um, you know, it's great to burn the candle extra bright and Christopher Hitchens did do a lot of great stuff but also by the same token it's sad to lose such an incredible mind at an early age I think he was like 61 years old and I wanted just to read a couple of Christopher Hitchens quotes because they're kind of interesting faith is the surrender of the mind he says it's the surrender of reason it's the surrender of the only thing that makes us different from other mammals it's our need to believe and our surrender to skepticism and our reason our yearning to discard that and the put of all our trust and faith in someone or something that is the sinister thing to me. Of all the supposed virtues, faith must be the most overrated. Another one is, my own view is that this planet is used as a penal colony, lunatic asylum and dumping ground by a superior civilization to get rid of the undesirable and unfit. I can't prove it, but you can't disprove it either. It happens to be my view, but it doesn't challenge any of the findings of Darwin, Huxley, Einstein, or Hawking, referring, of course, to uh, Stephen Hawking. And another interesting quote is, uh, let me see here. If Jesus could heal a blind person he happened to meet, why then could he not heal blindness? Now, the reason I bring this up, of course, is because this, what I find, I guess, disappointing about atheists like Bill Maher and Christopher Hitchens is that they're kind of throwing the baby out with the bathwater. They're kind of like, they've kind of lowered themselves to the level of the fanatical fundamentalists out there with the, the level of their argument. And um, my guest tonight probably could uh, opine rather intelligently on this because if Christopher Hitchens or Bill Maher had taken any time to do, to do the journey inside, to actually go inside and transcend, as I always say, this matrix, uh, they might discover something different that might actually call into question their avowed atheism. Um, and so with that, I want to welcome my guest, Dr. Robert Mahoney. Rob, are you on the line? I'm, I'm here and uh, quite intimidated by your descriptions of these great minds you've been talking to. So. Yeah. Well, Bob, you know, the funny thing is about, um, about you being a mentor of mine, of course, is that there's a saying by Lao Tzu, every day in the pursuit of knowledge, something is added. 
And then every day in the pursuit in the pursuit of the Tau, something is dropped. Now, last week, my guest, Howard, is the first, the former. He pursues knowledge um, with an addiction. And, of course, you being a mentor of another sort, you pursue the, the Tao, of course. And this is why I thought it would be great to have you on the show. Now, I should, Bob, we should, I guess, uh, inform our guests, our listeners, as to exactly uh, what your background is. And I do know you have a doctorate in East Asian languages and cultures, uh, specializing in a particular facet of, I guess, Chinese culture. Is that right? Uh, that's right. Uh, I, I, I my dissertation was on the effects of uh, printed books in 12th century China on cognition. And um, it uh, consumed many years of my life, <laughs> the yeah. research and writing. But it, it, it's been, uh, it, it's a joy to go back to it uh, uh, when I'm teaching at Hunter College now with students there, and of course on Chinese philosophy that I teach there. Sure. Now, I know Bob as my uh, Kung Fu teacher. I actually was in high school taking uh, Shaolin Chuan, or, or Kenpo as it's called, by his brother, and then we met Bob in high school. I went on to a local college, Manhattan College, where Bob was a professor there, and we, I went on and continued my, um, my, t- my, my learning of Kenpo with him, and he really had, he was the first meditation teacher that I had, and he was a phenomenal um, practitioner of, of Kung Fu, and was the first person that actually urged me to meditate. Um, but unfortunately, as as I've told Bob, I never quite got it. You know, I never was able to commit for any length of time. It was only years later, Bob, as I stumbled upon the writings of Eckhart Tolle and the Sufi mystic Rumi that I became enthusiastic about meditating. In other words, I had to get my mind into wanting to practice no mind. And um, in part, I did this by romanticizing the process. Rumi in particular writes very romantically about, quote unquote, God. God, of course, being an umbrella term for presence or love or transcending the matrix. We like to use, Bob, a lot of film analogies in quantum physics because I think the, the current zeitgeist of culture now is to relate to these esoteric concepts through film. Um, and so I think, in essence, Bob, one needs to fall in love with God or to be, to be seduced, in essence, by something, by something like God or by the power of Neo as an example or, or a superhero like Thor, which is a God as well, to want to meditate. And so with that said, um, Bob, how did you exactly get into meditation? Well, I began to question things. Uh, 1968, uh, June of 68, I was about to uh, register for military service. I believed in, this was the Vietnam War and I thought, gee, I should be doing my, fulfilling my responsibilities to country. And then uh, some parent, my parents uh, urged me to go to college first, and, and I began to find people telling me things that I'd never imagined before. And before long, I was in a, a Chinese Buddhist temple about a mile from uh, the college campus at Manhattan College, where I was studying at the time, and um, talking with uh, Chinese Buddhist monks in broke in their broken English, and my uh, that was my only language, English. So we uh, we didn't talk much, but they were able to give me some guidelines to begin. And um, I had some mentors. I had two mentors at that temple, and uh, uh, I stayed with it for about uh, three years, meditating every day for three years. Uh, visiting the temple often, and uh, as I say, not much, not much conversation. It was mostly uh, devoted to pursuing the life of the mind. It was very different from uh, philosophy and logic that I was uh, studying at college. Uh, very much abandoning language, any relationship between language and logic, and. Uh, trying to um, develop a, a sense of mind that was uh, free of language and logic. That was a spiritual pursuit. Uh, I didn't know it at the time, but looking back on it, that's, that's what was happening. Well, that's very interesting, actually. Um, what do you think about, uh, you know, about getting beginners? Because, you know, I look around, like my producer here, Jeff, who's a great friend of mine, and I guarantee if I ask him if he meditates, the answer is going to be no. And, and, you know, Bob, I run a successful company, and when customers call in, I always say the first thing is, you know, 
dealing with stress and anxiety. My product's great. But if you're not doing some type of mind-body work, if you're not doing prayer or meditation, uh, forget about it. Because, you know, as I always say, Bob, the only way out, the only way out of your problems is to go inside yourself. Um, I mean, how, do, how as a teacher do you get, because I'm having a hard time with this, people, my, like my listeners here, to be enthusiastic or to want to actually go and kill that thing that, that they currently think is themselves, actually, which of course is the ego, which is what meditation does, the practice of no mind. Interesting question, Brian. Uh, <laughs> yeah. it, I mean, uh, it, uh, the short answer is very few will do it. And, uh, and it's not just uh, um, your group of people and the people that I know in my circle in life, but throughout history and literature, uh, you look at the individual who actually truly seeks knowledge, and, and this, in this case, you're talking about self-knowledge, and that's ultimately what the knowledge comes down to. Uh, but that individual seeking it, and then finding in that moment of, uh, or in those moments of the search, uh, finding some some sense of liberation. But it's always an individual, and a liberation. Uh, from what we might call culture and all of the the, uh, the the family indoctrination, how we're indoctrinated in education, how our peers and, and how they think of things and how we feel pressured to believe and to act in their ways and how authority in, in the community may uh, uh, shape the way we think. So we have this mind that uh, has been shaped and how many of us then begin to question what we're looking at, what we're thinking, what we're believing. And it's usually very few. Uh, and the traditions of East and West emphasize that, you know, that there are very few teachers in a college that can confront students with the questions that make them think as opposed to just teach them. Or, I mean, where do you find in the institutions that we have the encouragement to not read and actually question what you know right now to be true? Uh, or is, is there any way that you can stop with the way you've been taught to learn and go back to the way you maybe learned naturally? How did you learn a language as an infant? So, so the whole question here, I think, is that it's, it's a rare few people that actually um, stop and question and begin a process of trying to know at all costs, whatever, whatever sacrifices involve, I want to know, I want to know. And um, in the tradition of Plato, there's this great image of the cave where the, the young in the city are just duped, they're just... Uh, uh, deluded into thinking and they have no idea that they've been deluded and uh, that's where the matrix comes in that's stealing that that allegory of the cave of people that are in a dream or an illusion and how do you get one of them out of the cave to actually see things as they are as opposed to the shadows or images that are in the cave that's a great point, actually, Bob. I remember when The Matrix first came out, and uh, you know, for me, it resonated more with the teachings, believe it or not. And I'm I'm not really I have an affinity for any particular religion, but I began to realize uh, the teachings of um, of Lao Tzu and and of Christ actually were embodied in The Matrix. And you actually were the one that told me about how The Matrix was a reflection of I'm not sure if it was Plato or Aristotle or who, but um, you know we have got a few listeners here that have said, hey, would you mind sharing a little bit more on the Greek philosophers? And I don't know anything about that, but definitely you were the one that got me to realizing that the hero or the one, I mean, all the films, as you know, Bob, they really espouse this idea of the hero, the one person out of the masses that rises up and transcends. There's always this idea of transcension, and maybe you could just elaborate on that concept of how, as to how maybe it was described in Greek philosophy. Well, uh, Plato does it through his character of Socrates, the philosopher, uh, that rare individual who spends his, every day of his life, every, every moment that he can, questioning authority, questioning the, the young who think they know, and and everyone else, and his only claim was that he knew that he didn't know. And there was that tremendous uh, 
passion and enthusiasm in this Socrates who, who truly spent every day he had trying to wake up those he questioned and knowing that they were happy in their dream. And he always questioning himself whether he was awake or asleep. And that's that whole matrix thing that they're talking about. That's what the cave was presenting, that those that are in a dream don't know they're in a dream. Yeah. And the problem, whether it's said, whether it's captured in Plato's language or if it's Zhuangzi, or the student of Louds in the East, there's this wonderful image of, uh, and I'll give it from I'll give it from Zhuangzi, the student of Laozi, who said uh, one day. Now Laozi, of course, is is Lao Tzu. I call Lao Tzu. It's Laozi. You call him, right? You pronounce it. Uh, Laozi. Laozi. Uh, uh, Americans, of course, will, will say Lao Tzu, something like that. But, okay. but uh, uh, you know the uh, the uh, student Zhuangzi. He writes. Uh, uh, one day, uh, Zhuangzi was flitting and fluttering about, a butterfly flitting, flitting and fluttering about, uh, and uh, suddenly he woke up and realized he was Zhuangzi, not the butterfly. Or was he, in fact, a butterfly dreaming he was Zhuangzi? And so that whole problem of the mind, knowing whether it's awake or, delude, uh, or, or asleep, whether it's dreaming or awake... Uh, uh, you know, how how do you know that you're no longer deluded? Descartes, uh, the 17th century philosopher, French philosopher, picked up on Plato's thing as well, and, and philosophers throughout that tradition. It's a very simple um, awareness that I might be deluded into thinking I know something. And this was Buddha in, uh, in India as well. He he being uh, from the Hindu tradition, um, he suddenly realized that his wealth and as Siddhartha, this prince living so well, suddenly he saw suffering outside of the castle and left the city and went into the jungle uh, trying to find a way uh, out of suffering. It was a rare individual like that who who then pursued uh, uh, those goals of uh, liberation from something that was uh, 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 so so um, painful, so painful and unbearable. And <laughs> and with Buddha uh, and and the Buddhist tradition, it's similar to Plato. There there are traditions that pursue the logic and a logic that hopes to. Uh, prove that what we're thinking is contradictory and paradoxical and and can't be uh, maintained. And yet, at the same time, uh, with meditation, uh, some of the practices in meditation, and at least the ones that I was uh, practicing, were seeking to leave all of that language and logic behind and trying to put the mind at a stillness and restfulness where uh, one could liberate oneself from beliefs in a different way from the Platonic or Socratic method of of just revealing that they're wrong. That, that uh, meditation, uh, trying to seek some sense of liberation from the delusion uh, as well. You know, the delusion of self, obviously, Bob. Right? Because the 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 funny the, the irony here, as you share with me, and I'm going to reveal some of Bob's secrets here, of course, um, with his meditation practice, is that um, the illusion is. I mean, in a sense, the illusion of self is really the illusion we're trying to transcend. Is that not correct to some degree? It, uh, among among Buddhists, yes, yes, very much so. And even in the West, you know, how we see ourselves, even in Plato's world, uh, you know, he, he talks about in his language, philosophy is nothing less than practicing dying, practicing death yes. all the time. Yes, says the same thing, exactly. And, and 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 there's that sense of you know what dies as you seek to to know the truth at all costs. The part of you, you know, that uh, suffers, of course. I I, I would answer right. Yeah. Well, it's it, it's up to the. It's really the experience of the individual, as far as I could see. I I can't express it 
any better than that. What, what's so lacking for us now, we're a culture that's been shaped by printed books and mass communication, and in all of these traditions that we look to now for meditation or in the liberal arts for liberating ourselves from being deluded by uh, others, uh, what's, what's in common there is that an individual finds a teacher, finds someone who they think has already discovered what they're looking for. And so it's the teacher who gets involved with the student in a very personal communication, understands where this student's mind is, and then begins the work. And this is whether it's Buddha or Plato, uh, Confucius. Uh, they, they begin to question what the student is thinking and say things that they know are still very precious beliefs, sacred cows, if you would, in the life of the student. So and they try to still... move the student past those icons and beliefs <laughs> to, to see themselves in a different way. So in essence, still guiding the mind. I mean, as I described in the beginning, I was lucky enough to kind of fall in love, in essence, right, with the practice by myself. I didn't really have necessarily one specific teacher in the past five years. But I guess what you're saying is that this formalized or ritualistic practice is still taking the mind and getting it to do what maybe it wouldn't want to do naturally to some degree, <laughs> which is oh, sit for hours. Yes, yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly, yeah. And, and the Times published only, I think, two years ago, the, um, the Dalai Lama had uh, offered many of, the, of his followers, those who were very steeped in meditation, he offered that community of serious, uh, 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 how should we call these meditation, you know, Buddhists who, who meditated regularly and uh, they had their brains scanned and studied oh, yeah. over years. Yeah, sure. and they showed that there was a cor correlation between um, the activity of the mind and the physical brain, the body. Uh, and this is only being uh, beginning to be understood, I think, in um, scientific circles that try to measure and you know, observe uh, through their methods, the inductive methods of trying, uh, trying to bring uh, 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 a knowledge of, of how something is happening. And, and particularly to confirm, first of all, that something is happening. It is an event. It's real to, to some degree. Oh, there's definitely, I think, Bob, a... Um uh, coming together and integration of these, um, you know, spiritual and science. I, mean, I always say that the greatest scientists were Jesus, Lao Tzu, and the Buddha because they understood what I would call a spiritual science. They had a spiritual intelligence that, you know, as opposed to like a monkey intelligence, the, the monkey intelligence that can build a computer or an atomic bomb is quite different, Bob, as you know, than, than the intelligence that can enable someone to transcend everything and, and help, I guess, humanity coexist peacefully. Whereas, I think, in a sense, monkey intelligence is really typically focused on us and them, um, you know, good and bad, right? You know, the, the monkey intelligence as a Buddhist <laughs> image is, is, a, is a very good choice of images, Brian. Thank you. That's, yeah. that, that's, it, the monkey in, in, in the Indian tradition is, is the animal who, they, they would catch monkeys by putting a cookie, something sweet, something the monkey wants inside a jar that had a very <laughs> narrow neck, and the monkey would go in and grab it, and then they would have a string attached to the jar and pull it over, and the monkey wouldn't let go of it, and his fist <laughs> prevented his hand from getting out. Yeah. And so that's the image of, of, of what the teachers of meditation have to face when, when they're dealing with a student who does want to, to um, pursue this journey to uh, to know oneself better and to and to feel or believe or or feel a sense of liberation that uh, they have to let go uh, if you would of the past even as a writer the most difficult thing you could do as a writer is tear up your work as you realize parts of it just aren't true and beautiful you know? sure. and that's similar in the in the in the journey of the mind uh, but it's uh, uh, people who who pursue meditation seriously should know that uh, finding a good teacher is crucial. Uh, not a teacher that's you know out for 
wealth and power, but how do you find it? It's such a difficult task. You know, you talk about, Brian, as you did, uh, how do you get people to pursue meditation? Well, those that do should really have a good teacher. And how do you find that teacher? That's even more difficult because the uh, meditation is such that you, you, you have to be... You have to be careful. It's, 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 uh, what happens to the mind as you pursue it um, can have some very surprising events for, for those who pursue meditation. Well, I mean, you know, it's great, Bob, because um, the Bible and also um, the, I mean, I, I happened to practice Shambhala Buddhism for a while and the same stories. Christ went out into the desert, of course, of his subconscious. I mean, you go into a desert for 40 days and 40 nights, folks, trust me, you're not facing anything out there but your own devil, the subconscious mind or the conscious mind, as you want to call it. The writings of the Shambhala Buddhists, as you know, Bob, too, when they were up in the caves, they would see demons and dragons and devils also, of course. And uh, uh, Bob, you even told me some stories back when I was a kid in college about the same thing that you, you had heard about people who began to experience similar types of experiences, right? About the, the challenges of yeah, it could going be deeper. Quite dangerous. It could be quite, quite dangerous. dangerous. Exactly. Yeah. yeah it's a, uh, you know, it's a psych, you can have psychotic events. Yes. Uh, while you're in, while you're in meditation, uh, and even, even as you, um, one of the rules that my meditation teacher taught me a long time ago was never to um, practice meditation while lying down and going to sleep at night and not to confuse <laughs> the issue too much. But uh, that, that, was, uh, that, that had very good reasons uh, uh, for uh, 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 trying to understand what, what was real and what was not, as the, the state of mind in meditation can can conjure up all kinds of uh, images that you suddenly believe are real when they're not. And there's oh, ample Buddhist stories uh, of uh, meditation practice where individuals would have killed themselves unknowingly had a teacher not been there to um, uh, intercede. Wow, sure. It's you know it reminds me of the movie the movie Inception, which was the one with um, I forgot what his yeah. name is actually the guy from um from Titanic. But it was a great movie because of course in that movie, Leonardo DiCaprio, who's actually an avid environmentalist, the guy seems like he has a conscience as far as the roles he chooses. Um, and in that movie, of course, um, there was this confusion of what reality was. There were just layer upon layer upon layer of quote-unquote yeah. dreams or illusions or, or lies. All those words can be used interchangeably and you know it began to blur and it was a really great, beautiful cacophony of, of different layers of existence. And um, you know, it's just interesting, Bob, again, how film, some of these people out in Hollywood really do try to capture the essence of these teachings in their films. <laughs> Yes, it's it's such an attractive subject to to um, you know pose as for an individual in talking with friends. Even it's it, it, it readily uh, agreed upon. Yes, it, it it can be confusing whether you're awake or asleep. It can be applied in many different situations. Uh, in, in in the Buddhist tradition and in the Chinese Taoist um, uh, traditions, even in the martial arts, you know there there is an awful lot of attention to um, developing the mind as well as the body, and and with that the. Uh, 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 one begins to see this connection between body and mind that um, that's quite different from uh, what you believed or perceived before you spent all this time uh, in that pursuit. Yeah, I'm your host, Brian Cunningham. Come back right after this break. Quantum physics, building strength and power for your mind, body, and spirit. Visit ExtremeFitNutrition.com, the newest and hottest supplement super site. We carry all the major brands, including Species, MHP, BPI, BSN, Optimal Nutrition, Gaspari, and many more. Low on cash? No problem. ExtremeFitNutrition.com offers competitive prices that our competitors can't beat. Now you can supplement your diet without having to supplement your bank account. Here's some of our specials. Buy $100 worth of Species products or Metabolic Nutrition and get a free t-shirt and bag. Buy two 
$200 worth of BSN products and receive a BSN t-shirt and shaker bottle. Remember, there's only one extreme. Visit ExtremeFitNutrition.com now. If you train hard, you need to recover hard. Training elevates cortisol, but so does stress and tension. Stress is the number one health risk you face today. and not only causes you to put on abdominal fat, but it's also one of the contributing factors in the top six causes of death, which includes heart disease and cancer. But now you can relieve that stress, rebuild, recover, and feel great with fast-acting Gabitrol. Gabitrol works quickly to help you improve relaxation and recovery, reduce cortisol, elevating stress, and reduce binge eating. Plus, Gabitrol will also help you to get that deep, restful sleep. Warriors are built, not born. And now you can build a better body with fast-acting Gabitrol. Recommended by New York Times number one best-selling author, Dr. John Gray. Gabitrol is available now at rxstress.com. Are you tired all day, not making the gains you like? Are you taking a long time to recuperate from your workouts? Then you may be suffering from sleep apnea and not even know it. Sleep apnea affects over 68% of athletes and it may be interfering with your performance. WinningEdgeSleep.com was developed by IFBB pro athlete Dr. Derling Castro to help athletes find out if they have this problem and how to fix it. WinningEdgeSleep.com because sleep is the most anabolic agent there is. WinningEdgeSleep.com. Visit them today. Hydrolyze Ultra, the leader in cellular hydration water. Hydrolyze Ultra water has been designed by shrinking and reshaping molecules to allow a faster and more sustained delivery into your cells. Our cellular water has gone through a magnetism and laser treatment process, along with adding electrolytes to our special ingredients. This allows all nutrients to be absorbed at a maximum cellular state. By using Hydrolyze Ultra, all nutrients, supplements, and carbohydrates you consume will be absorbed at a greater rate. Lactic acid gets flushed faster, and you'll feel fully hydrated. Get the advantage that top athletes have achieved. Try Hydrolyze Ultra today. Visit HydrolyzeUltra.com. That's HydrolyzeUltra.com. P28 High Protein Bread is the official bread of RX Muscle. Are you looking to incorporate more protein into your meals or just want to enjoy bread again? Then look no further. Try the 100% natural P28 High Protein Bread. P28 High Protein Bread is a formulated revolutionary breakthrough product. Packed with whey protein isolate, 14 grams of protein per slice, 12 grams of carbs, 8 essential amino acids, and made with 100% whole wheat. Fear bread no more. Build a better body with P28. Order today at HighProteinBread.com. P28 is also now available at Bodybuilding.com and many other retailers. Order now. HighProteinBread.com. P28 Bread. RX Muscle approved. RxMuscle.com. Now you have a place to turn when you want the truth on bodybuilding, diet, and exercise, up to the minute news, and more. Visit the RxMuscle.com forums featuring celebrity Q and A's with IFBB professional athletes, top amateurs, and the brightest minds in the industry. Listen to our weekly radio shows, including Heavy Muscle Radio, Muscle Girls Inc., After Hours, and more. Contest coverage, videos, even our own social networking site, Rx Muscle Place. Visit RxMuscle.com. And welcome back to Quantum Physiques, where we strive to build strength and power for mind, body, and spirit. I remember you used to fight, I mean, speaking of mind, I mean, I, I want to get into uh, our, our experience together in Kung Fu and also with your, your I guess, um, I guess, pursuit of Tai Chi as well, because they're very interesting. I mean, uh, you know, these arts derive much of their power, not from the Western model of strength being like muscular size or, or brute strength, but from quite the opposite, from letting go. In essence, by accepting or being open to defeat, one can then emerge victorious. And Bob, I remember when I was back then, you were telling me the images of the Buddha and how he was you know, centered and, and very grounded, whereas in the West, there was the model of um, Rodin, which is the, I guess, the French statue, uh, the French artist did the statue, and he's leaning forward and he's muscular and he's tense. And um, it's a great paradox, I guess. Huh? I mean, the, the Eastern philosophy, the idea by letting go and surrendering, you can become victorious. Is that not correct? Yeah, uh, Rodin's the thinker. Is, is, the thinker is, yes, yes. He's he's in that Greek. The the Greek model of thinking was wrestling. The gymnasium was both uh, physical wrestling and uh, cognitive wrestling. Wrestling <laughs> with ideas and and debate. Yes, very very much so. And then. The, the the opposite image of it is is the Buddha sitting quietly in deep meditation, 
And as we've learned from readings and uh, uh, exploration of that Buddhist tradition, you know, sitting still for not uh, just minutes or hours, but days in uh, in, in meditation practice like that, you know, it's it's, it's quite uh, quite different in its approach, and and that's what that's what allows arts like Tai Chi, uh, Tai Chi and um, uh, Bagua. And Xing Yi are the three internal arts of uh, Kung Fu and um, uh, Kung Fu, excuse me. And uh, they're, they're all committed to total relaxation. It's very much in the yoga tradition. And uh, uh, you, if you're very good at Tai Chi, you're, you're, you're trying to imitate and trying to do the same things that one does in yoga. Uh, and with that, uh, you, you get uh, considerable strength uh, coming from the ground, from your ability to stand uh, and be rooted, as they say, in the ground. Yeah. It's remarkable with YouTube now because you can capture some of these great Tai Chi masters. Uh, if any of your listeners uh, tune into uh, Ma Yueliang, he is a, one of... Uh, the great masters, he passed away only, uh, oh, less than 10 years ago, I think. But there he is, he's 90 years old, and uh, throwing off young men as if there were, you know, leaves in the wind. And uh, it's a remarkable feat of uh, stillness and relaxation that, that he shows. Uh, YouTube is showing many, many of these examples now. Mario Eliang's not the only master, but uh, uh, others are brought up. Uh, Wu Tunan is another one. It's it's amazing, Bob, because the science behind um, I don't want I don't know what to use for this term uh, spirituality. I, I don't know what to call it. Or the science behind not mind is quite impressive. I mean, we have uh, Bob. Get this: there are studies now on seeing the future, precognition that are showing that our minds actually can tune into and read the future accurately. And this has been proven scientifically. Um, meditation, the best thing people could do to, to reduce all-cause mortality, meaning death from anything, meditation was shown in the, meta, in the meta-analysis, meaning when they get data from a large pool of studies and they look at drugs and vitamins and, and sleeping and, and all that kind of stuff, omega-3 fats, meditation, t- some type of stress moderation were shown to be the most important thing that you could do to, to prevent death, actually. So the science behind this stuff is quite impressive. And as you said, it's, it's amassing quickly. But again, you know, Bob, you used to fight us blindfolded. And I remember when I asked you about that, you said that, you know, as you, as you practice Tai Chi, and again, Tai Chi is really meditation and practice. Yoga is meditation and practice. The whole goal of meditation is not to leave it there, but to take it with you into the matrix, in essence. And so by doing these forms of exercise you actually get to practice more meditation. And you, Bob, would fight us, two of us, two of us, two brown belts at the same time, you fight us blindfolded. And of course, we're doing sticky fingers, so it wasn't full on. But my point is, though, is that these Tai Chi masters you refer to, they actually feel chi. And so in a sense, they are kind of tuning into the future, right? That's how they're kind of able to react to things before they happen, right? Yeah, to be able to feel and experience chi is something that everybody can do if 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 they um, uh, approach it from uh, some of these traditional arts. Some people can feel it. Uh, I have friends who are able to to feel it, and uh, um, it's quite pleasant. And in Chinese medicine, yes, um, being able to keep your chi lowered in the body, low in the body, not having it rise into your chest, and, which is what happens when stress comes into it, but being able to relax and sink the chi in the body releases it, and it becomes very similar to what, what uh, uh, yogis uh, uh, describe as energy moves through the body. It's really the same thing. And you know what's curious? If you look at the history between... India and China, there was this wonderful uh, transfer of information in the first Christian era uh, and uh, between Buddhism and the Chinese along that that border. And they were exchanging mostly knowledge about medicine and yoga practices, you know, things like uh, Tai Chi, but it wasn't Tai Chi, you wouldn't have called it that at the time, but they had a similar mind-body uh, interest in health, how, how to maintain that, 
balance between mind and body to generate health, as well as the herbs, the herbal remedies that they uh, shared at the time. No, that's great. And, you know, speaking of these practices um, and of keeping your chi low, which you just mentioned before, it's interesting that when you look at some of these amazing athletes, right, they they are so relaxed and so fluid and almost like, like, yes. like late, they seem lazy, like, 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 like a panther would. A panther slugs along. If you ever, I love watching nature shows, actually. You know, there's big, this is Big Cat Week on Discovery Channel or whatever, just so you guys know. And it's amazing because these cats, they slug along, like almost sluggishly. And yet, when it's time to spring into action, the way an athlete does or a powerlifter does, there's a, an amazing neuromuscular innovation that goes on that, that's just astounding because they are transformed 360 into this explosive machine. And this is kind of what it means, I think, Bob, to have your chi low and grounded, whereas when you're stressed, you're already agitated, you're overexcited, you don't have much left, really, in a sense, to amp up. Brian, you're hitting the point, you know, the nail right on the head here. There's that relaxation that you see in athletes, uh, uh, even in swimming, they've they've developed a whole technique uh, based on these coaches that have observed the best swimmers come out breathless after a sprint or something. And they've, they've tried to understand the mechanics of that relaxation and minimal movement. And for example, in Tai Chi, if you really practice Tai Chi well, you don't move your arms. All of that, it looks like someone's moving their arms. It looks like they're you know, pushing the arms out to be there at the right moment. But there's other things going on in Tai Chi that, that creates that movement that arrives in the arms. And, uh, and, uh, and, and, and as I reflect back on it, too, for many, many years in studying Tai Chi, I simply became so cynical about uh, these claims of being able to feel Chi in all of my... Uh, friends who studied with me, they were all claiming that they could feel it, and I was doing the practice with them the same amount of time, and I could feel nothing, nothing, you know? But I had some severe back injury when I was 18, and it took a long time for the joints and the spine to align properly. But as that began to happen, it was only a few years ago that I, I, I actually felt that she actually in uh, uh, between my hands and feeling it uh, as it would, would fill uh, the abdominal area and, and, and move through the body. Uh, it was after oh, 10, 15 years of practicing it but, it, but my body was not aligned. I had a severe injury and, I, and it took many years for that to correct before I could relax and, uh, and feel it. And um, uh, that's about it. No, it's just, it's amazing how you mentioned the injury because I've often said that uh, it's often the most who are in pain that seek out uh, these these deeper, uh, I guess, uh, practices in a sense, right? I mean, because if you're happy and you're healthy, you have no reason to rock the boat. But when you're in physical pain, you'll seek out healing. And Lao Tzu even says that, you know, first you must realize you are sick to truly move towards being healthy. And in a sense also, I mean, for me, Bob, you know, as being being an Irish an Irish man, um, you know, coming from a land of uh, of mystics and, and, and madness, you know, uh, I realized just how me- mentally sick I was. And I really think that that's what spurned me just to seek transcending the, 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 the psychosis of, of, of my ego in a sense. And so I think you're right that, you know, emotional or physical pain is often a great doorway to, um, to becoming, you know, a better person or, or more whole person. Yeah, I was quite incentivized by not wanting to have surgery, you know, on yeah, my back. Yeah. And, and as the pain went into the knees and other parts of me, uh, I continued the search despite the fact that you know, I wasn't getting, I wasn't finding a teacher. It took me 30 years to find a teacher. Yeah, Someone who yeah. came from the inner circle of a grandmaster in China. And, uh, and he couldn't teach me till he asked permission from his father to, 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 to teach me. It was a, it was a whole big thing. But in about eight years, 10 years, um, uh, the, the results were, uh, were there, but for me, it took a very long time. Like uh, others were 
we're advancing much faster than I. Yeah. Well, we Irishmen, we're, we're slow learners. That's why we have uh, reincarnation. Uh, if, if we're learners at all. <laughs> if we're learners at all, exactly. Exactly. You know, Bob, one thing you mentioned recently that really caught my attention, because you never told me this back, um, you know, 20 years ago, um, and the science, again, supports this. When people are out in nature, the, their bodies actually release more serotonin, and serotonin is a feel-good neurotransmitter that helps to calm the mind. And, you know, as I told uh, my listeners here on previous shows, you know, I had my most profound experiences doing what's called walking meditation out in the woods, barefoot, actually, because I do feel that walking barefoot is a great way to reconnect with the earth and there's an energy transference that are going on. And you mentioned the same thing. I guess there's, there's, there is a practice in Chinese Buddhism or wherever where um, walking meditation is a form of meditation. Is that not correct? Uh, not only walking, but um, uh, the, the whole feel of energy from the earth. When you practice Qigong, Qigong is uh, even used as a healing art in, in China. Um, and you're and you and, and you build up that force of chi in your own body, so that you can then project it into uh, the the body of another to heal another. And uh, uh, before Mao Zedong, before Mao brought some of these traditional healing arts into the hospitals to to be studied in conjunction with Western medicine. Uh, People who practice qigong as a medical art uh, really never lived past the age of sixty. You know, and wow. it was Mao who regulated what they were doing, or, or the, the people that were during the uh, Mao Zedong's administration. Uh, the uh, they regulated it so that these doctors of qigong did not treat many patients, and then that way they were able to live longer. Yeah. Uh, so in 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 those in qigong, you 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 do one of the first things you do is uh, you you have to get into a state of mind where you feel the earth as if the earth is up around your shins, above your ankles, and once you once you get that sensation or that illusion or that fixation, uh, once you can relax into that sense of being deep under the earth. Then, then the chi begins to, uh, as they change their postures, they, they move the chi about the body for, for their own health and, and to build up the, 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 the sensation of the chi in the body. Sure. Bob, if somebody it's, wanted... something, it's something you shouldn't do without someone who's trained to um, teach you how to do that chi. You know, don't just read a book and try to do it. You could, you could hurt yourself. Wow. I mean, you know, I want to, I don't want to, obviously we don't want to scare people away from practicing meditation or Qigong as an example. Um, So, I mean, very few people actually ever have, I mean, from what I've read, negative experiences of anything, it's an overwhelmingly positive experience um, by conducting these practices. I just think that Bob is just trying to teach people to be responsible um, and not go into territory that maybe they're not uh, physically or, or psychologically prepared for, right? Yes, uh, I, 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 I do think you, sh- you should be cautious, and um, and uh, but in being, you, you should try to pursue some. You you could uh, benefit absolutely in pursuing meditation for for, for many years, uh, and but I would urge people to talk with other people that are pursuing it and and find people that uh, may have more, you know, some years down the road, find people with more experience in it uh, and and begin to, dis, you know, share experiences <clears throat> that are presented as you advance through meditation. But for me, for three years, I'm trying to sit and just count my breath without any distraction at all, I uh, used to count. The method that I was taught was to just count on the exhale of the breath, each exhale, up to 10, but to stop if, I, if any thought or image or anything came between me and, and, and the next number I was counting on the breath, uh, then go back to one. 
And for three years, I don't think I got past four. (laughs) 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 But as you do that, and as you commit yourself to that practice, uh, you see progress on a regular basis. You begin to relax. You you begin to appreciate and enjoy um, not feeling stress in your body. And with that, uh, the clarity of your thinking, you're less distracted. Uh, I, I would think it would be ideal for uh, people who have uh, you know, attention deficit disorder. Uh, instead of drinking lots of caffeine or taking Ritalin, you may get some benefits from this that will help wean you from that. Oh, yeah, it's a great point. Uh, I always say, uh, and pardon my French, I'm an asshole if I don't meditate, honestly. I mean, I'm so much calmer uh, every day, pretty much, especially when I'm doing it regularly. And, you know, again, the science behind this, Bob, is impressive because even if you think you're a fail, you're failing at it, and like Bob said, for three years you couldn't get past four, there is a concept that Howard discussed last week of neuroplasticity. Your brain is rewiring by focusing your brain on doing one thing. Even though you think you're not doing it correctly, trust me, your brain is actually rewiring itself and you will see benefits. Benefits relatively quickly, as Bob as Bob has said. You, that rewiring is—I uh, can confirm that in my own experience. When I began with the Tai Chi with this uh, genuine master, uh, I would say within oh a year, year and a half of you know, rigorously exercising, doing the postures and the breathing techniques that you had to learn. Um, uh, I was able to pick up things that were dropped or falling without even, I wasn't even aware, just the hand went and grabbed it, picked it up. Whereas in the past, I think I I never would have had that kind of reflex. Uh, It it astounded me, and I I spoke with other, spoke with my teacher and, and, and some of my colleagues who were finding similar experiences. Um, it, it, it's remarkable what happens uh, as you try to develop the whole mind through some of these traditional practices. No, it is. It definitely is. You know, Bob, I want to turn our attention to um, to somebody in particular we're both fan, a fan of. As you know, Bob, the best book is no book. The best teacher is no teacher. But for students that are not ready to grasp this lesson... <clears throat> Uh, Lao Tzu is one of the best teachers because his pages are not filled with words, but quite the opposite. The Tao Te Ching is a simple book of poems or sonnets that imparts profound lessons in as few words as possible. And, you know, I mean, just some of his examples are, they seem quite paradoxical, but yet they're only paradoxical to a mind that's cluttered by thoughts. And I'd like you just to comment on what do you feel is the essence of his teachings? Because obviously you teach a course in college on Lao Tzu and, and his teachings. Well, Lao Tzu as a text is, um, you know, I, 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 I think the students who are in Chinese philosophy would agree with you. They love it. It's, it speaks volumes to them. And I usually like to first, before they even get to it, is, is to give them... Uh, Confucius, Zanalects, and Mencius, and some of the traditional Chinese texts that were in the civil service uh, examination systems for centuries, so that when you do pick up the Lao Tzu, it's so different from what you had been reading in Chinese philosophy before, and it 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 much of it is um, uh, much of it's language is expressed through the pairing of opposites. And uh, it's paradoxes. It expresses experience, uh, a certain kind of experience that could only be captured in a paradoxical statement. In other words, uh, apparent opposites that 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 are that would lead to some kind of a contradiction to express the truth. Yes. So you're contradicting something to express something that's true, and 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 so Lanza talks about the spiritual experience as something beyond 
what our words um, can express, except if you could express, uh, ex- uh, but it, it, it's most closely captured by this sense of a paradox. And, uh, you know, uh, you can say to your friend, you know, I, I want to go to your party and I don't want to go to your party. <laughs> uh, and, and so those are opposites that express a certain kind of ambivalence. But, but Lao Tzu was, was pairing opposites uh, in, in ways that try to uh, express what was happening in nature. And even our own scientists today still have difficulties and challenges in, in trying to express what goes on in nature. Other, other parts of Lao Tzu uh, recognize the female as the source of what's powerful. And the, the female is the uh, supple, the dark, uh, the mysterious. Uh, and it, 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 it truly points to a woman <clears throat> and the community of women that are apart from men and the search for knowledge that men pursue, the mathematics and the logic and the, the um, uh, uh, certification by uh, institutions. Sure. But there's something about the knowledge of women, you know, and, what, and you ask yourself, well, what is it that women know that, can, that men can never know? And, uh, and, and, and it comes down to this um, sense of birth, you know, uh, woman gives birth to a child and she knows it's her child. The man standing there believing the woman who says this is your child. You know. <laughs> and uh, woman, uh, women know things uh, from their body, from what, what, is, what is nature itself. Uh, the blood uh, that women, that flow from women uh, to, to show that they've gone from girl to woman. You know that menarche, that 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 that, that uh, first flow of blood. Uh, sure. Uh, and, um, and and it's that that sense of the female uh, apart from what us guys and those that are seeking power and wisdom are blind to. Lots of points to, but this is this is what's real. And and and, and Plato did the same thing he, in, in his dialogue, the Symposium. He leaves the city of men. He talks about going to this woman, Diatima, who uh, uh, was the great healer in a plague that ran through Athens. And, and she kind of uh, slaps him around to wake him up to what, what knowledge is. And it's not what he's been taught, but it's something else. And, uh, and he's so, um, uh, how shall I say, uh, uh, confused. Uh, hurt and upset, but then she leads him to this understanding of other kinds of knowledge, and it's not the knowledge that the professors teach in the university. It's it's what we women understand. And uh, in Lao the water is a great image. Water and the infant uh, are other great images in Lao Tzu, but water particularly uh, is uh, uh, it's a very seductive image as Lao talks to how how um, soft it is, yet it cuts through rock. That's over, right. Yeah. Over uh, ages and ages, and uh, uh, it, it 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 follows the, the the curves that it cuts in the earth as it goes to the ocean. Uh, and and so the Lao can be a text of many things for people. You know, if you're in politics, you 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 read Lao and you learn patience in the struggle for power. Uh, it's a great similar great similarities or parallels to Machiavelli's The Prince. You can you could see in some of the passages of Lao but as a a personal uh, experience. Uh, what I find most interesting about Laozi, he he keeps that personal connection. It's not that he's not writing to a mass audience; he's writing to somebody, or these passages that have been written down and associated with this character of Laozi, 
are have been put down by people who have gone through some very um, they're very much dissatisfied with traditional learning, the traditional experience, how things are presented to us, how we're raised to think. You know? And he comes with these uh, uh, superlative uh, images that uh, are great for a spiritual journey as well. Yes, no, they definitely are. Bob, I want to thank you for joining us tonight. And um, it's been an honor to have you on, of course. Um, we'll definitely get you back on again in the new year. I'm sure we'll have some more topics to discuss. Uh, anything you want to say in conclusion? I, I think it's about time everybody should just uh, wake up. I finished talking, and uh, I'm sure I gave a little <laughs> nap. And uh, after they've rested, uh, you could explain to them what happened uh, as I spoke with you. <laughs> thoroughly enjoyed our conversation. Okay. Okay. All right. Thanks again. Okay, Bob. Have a good night. Take care. You too now. Bye-bye. That was a great interview with Dr. Bob Mahoney. And uh, of course, athletes and bodybuilders can definitely um, appreciate that because if you want to perform better, uh, without a doubt, practicing mind control, again, practicing meditation, some form of meditation is definitely going to help you get better results. And it's going to help shift exactly what results you're focusing on. Uh, I really think that a lot of us are focused on the wrong things. Jeff and I, of course, have elaborated on numerous shows about how a lot of us have our attention or our desires in places that are causing us all kinds of pain and suffering and unintended consequences. And, um, you know, I can't begin to tell you how much uh, some form of meditation can actually help to shift who you are and what you value in this life, of course, which really I think will, will lead you to a much more positive future. Uh, you know, obviously, Bob and I both are big fans of Laudza, and the one particular version of his writings that I like and I recommend to everybody is the Tao Te Ching, a new English version by the author Stephen Mitchell. Now, um, Stephen Mitchell is a prolific writer uh, and Zen Buddhist, and I believe his uh, his translation of the writings of Lao Tzu actually are um, are quite apropos for the Western mind for us over here in the United States. And I think it might help a lot of us to understand. So that's one book I definitely recommend. I also want to recommend you guys go to Facebook, of course, and like us, like the Quantum Physiques page. Show some support, show some love, especially around the holidays. If you want to give back, give us a like, uh, like, a like button. Click on uh, Quantum Physiques on Facebook, of course. And once again, this has been Quantum Physiques on rxmuscle.com. I'm your host, Brian Cunningham. Stay tuned next week for another exciting show. Quantum Physiques with Brian Cunningham is dedicated to harnessing the power of the holy grail of health, fitness, lifestyle, and success. And you'll hear Quantum Physiques every